eating less, like maybe less is more, but that's not what we learn in school. That's not, and there's a fear of deficiency, but I don't see rickets and I don't see, you know, scurvy. This is not what I see. Every day I have people coming to me that are struggling with obesity and cardiovascular disease and type two diabetes, diseases of excess. We are mm. living in a, a world of excess, but trying to still avoid deficiency. And those are conflicting narratives. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. This is Pat McCauley, as always. My guest this week is the amazing Juliana Hever. Juliana is a dietitian. She is the author of seven books. She is a TEDx speaker. She has an amazing TEDx talk. Um, and she's widely known for her work in helping patients heal via plants. Uh, she's been on Dr. Oz. She's been on all kinds of big shows talking about how she um, helps people heal via plant-based nutrition. So we talk about why our obsession with deficiencies is misleading us, why our focus on macros is the biggest problem in the nutrition space, her take on gluten and whole grains, the data on time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting, the importance of how you speak to yourself, the many diseases she has helped people reverse with diet, why healing happens fast, what supplements she recommends, uh, why she considers mushrooms its own food group, um, and why she often says she's the anti-dietitian dietitian. Uh, this one is loaded with incredible information from somebody who is super knowledgeable and has truly been healing people with diet um, for many, many years. So cannot recommend this enough. Please follow Juliana in her work. Um, I'll leave all links to everything she's doing um, in the notes. I will see you guys next week. Enjoy this one. Share this one with a loved one that may need it. Without further ado, the fabulous Juliana Hever. Times have late, it is your currency. All right, Juliana, welcome uh, to the show. I was just saying before we got on here, your podcast and my podcast over the past year, I've noticed we've had a lot of similar guests on and I have heard your name uh, many times and I started following you after somebody mentioned you and um, I love your work. I have been checking out your books and uh, you've been at it a, a long time, obviously, and trying to help people for a long time. So um, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on and welcome. Thank you so much, Pat. I'm really excited to talk with you today. Awesome. So the first thing I wanted to ask about is how did you first become interested in health, interested in uh, diet? And then um, ultimately, like why, why the focus on plant-based nutrition after you got involved in the health world? Well, it wasn't really after there were all these different stories, like this confluence of events that kind of transpired over decades, like my entire life, starting when I was a little girl and loved, you know, I loved nutrition and I was a dancer, like grew up dancing and doing ballet. And uh, the first kind of time that I was really brought to my attention about like diet per se 
is when I was in ballet class with all of my friends and my teacher called out from across the room, Juliana, cut out your snacks. And I was about 11 years oldish, you know, going through those changes where I started to see hips starting to grow in my, in the mirror. Cause you know, you're in front of the mirror all day long. And I started to go cut out my snacks. What does that mean? You know? So I started kind of getting sucked up into that world of watching what I eat and learning about diet and learning about nutrition and weight loss and body image. A lot of that was really kind of triggered, you know, right at the get-go, especially as a young girl. And so I just started reading everything about it. And I also always loved to exercise on the side. Like I was always doing just kind of exercise stuff. I was teaching my friends and family, like little aerobic classes. You know, I've got like a cassette tape recording of me doing that. Just, I've always been fascinated by this stuff. And my grandma also at the same time would say to me, where do we get our iron? And I'd say raisins, or you know, like, what do we eat bananas for? Potassium. So she kind of planted these seeds and all those kind of things kind of came, kind of came together. And I just started reading everything. I was really into reading everything. You know, there was no really internet back then that was accessible. So I was just reading books and everything I could find on nutrition and diet. And when I was a teenager, I stumbled upon John Robbins book diet for a new America. And that shifted a lot for me. And I was like, wow, I don't want to contribute to this world of, of how animals end up on the plate. So I decided right then and there, when I finished the book, I'm just not going to do that anymore. And my parents were like, what are you talking about? A veggie? what? What are you doing? What, do, what does that mean? And so she didn't know, my mom didn't know how to cook for me and I didn't know how to cook. So I was basically eating the side dishes and I was eating granola bars and rice, you know, rice cakes and just whatever, just whatever I could get that was animal free. Again, there was no like books out there and internet out there that I could necessarily find to like really guide me. Mm -hmm. So just kind of trying to figure it out. And my parents, as good parents would be, they were worried about me, like, where are you going to get all of your nutrition? So we had this friend that was a nurse. And so they kind of enlisted her in this um, project to scare the heck out of me. And we all went out to dinner one night and had what I call an intervention where she told me, if you don't eat meat, you're going to not have you know, your iron and your protein and your B12, all this stuff. And she scared me properly into going, okay, I shouldn't do this. So I went back to eating meat and the regular standard diet, except I was still curious because I was thinking, hmm, the vegetarians are just dying off, right? We're not hearing news of like those vegetarians that are super unhealthy. And I kept researching. And as that unfolded, I, the acting and the, the, the dancing and the acting all kind of came to a head where I was like, I switched to, you know, doing acting because I was in Los Angeles. I was doing a lot of theater, uh, film and TV and commercial models. And again, the stuff came up of cut out those snacks and five more, you need to lose five pounds for the camera. And so eventually, uh, I think in college, my agent had me connect with a trainer. I fell in love with personal training. I became a personal trainer like to do on the side while I was acting, but then people were asking me questions about nutrition. So I signed up for grad school and decided I wanted to learn more about nutrition. So I knew exactly what I was saying when I was answering those questions, rather than spitting back the information in a personal trainer's handbook. And, uh, and I loved grad school and I was doing grad school. I was working full-time as a personal trainer and that was it. And I love, love, love. That was like when I got really into it, I quit acting all that. I just wanted to do this. And then, and then I finished grad school. Then I learned about statistics and going into the literature and digging in and finding out where you get protein. And I saw, you know, in my classes where it would say, you know, you need to have three servings of dairy a day. And then the little small print at the bottom was sponsored by the dairy council, you know, yeah. like all <laughs> this stuff just kind of finally came together. And after grad school, I dug back into the literature, the primary literature. And that was it that I, I was like, I'm doing this. I'm going to try it myself. 
my health completely transitioned and changed when I went plant-based finally the right way, you know, and, uh, and that was it. I started writing books and, you know, doing TV, everything just kind of came together after that. Yeah. That's amazing. Do you have any advice? Because that's super interesting. Um, how your parents actually like kind of gave you an ultimatum, like you gotta, you know, start, start eating animals again. Um, do you have any advice if maybe like a teenager is listening to this and they maybe feel called to eat plant-based and remove those things from their diet? Like what, how they could approach that with their parents? Absolutely. And I love when teenagers reach out to me because they really want to do this and they really want the information. And I say to them what I wish someone had said to me, the thing is now there's the internet and there's so many resources. And when I wrote my very first book, The Complete 80s Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition, it was like the resource that I wish I had. So I would tell any teenager that yes, empower yourself with information so that when your parents are, you know, of course, worried about certain things, because if you don't know, then it's, it could be worrisome. You know, it's not the norm still quite yet. It's much more than it ever has been, but I would say be armed with information. So know where you can get your protein, know that you can get your, your iron sourced better from plants. Like all that information is now readily available. So get as informed as possible and, uh, and come from a place of knowledge. Mm, I love that. So, so while you were studying, like, what did you see? Was it, were there specific, um, things in the literature you saw? Because like, there's, you know, millions of dietitians out there that come out of school and they certainly are not preaching a plant-based diet. They're very much like, at least in my experience, like they're caught up in the the focus on the macronutrients, right? They focus on, you know, protein and carb ratios and things to me that personally, I don't think has anything to do with health. Um, but how, you know, what did you see that kind of the average person in school didn't see that led you that direction? And, and I know you were experimenting yourself at the time and you felt great and everything, but what in the literature kind of led you that way? Well, I'll just say that I started from a place of curiosity and I just, I was like, like, again, I was not seeing vegetarians die off. They weren't in the hospital ward that I was spending all my time studying medical nutrition therapy on. These were people that were doing everything that kind of, I've been questioning for decades. Right. So then it was like, okay, well let's go, let's find out because if we're really worried about deficiency, which is still such the big model, right? Like that's what, okay. That is for the record, for all the dietitians out there, for all the healthcare practitioners out there, for all the people that are just listening out there, that is what we live by this, this deficiency paradigm. We know we are taught to avoid deficiency. And that's what we're taught in graduate school is if you see, and, and doctors, I've sat in on many, many medical school classes on nutrition. It's, you have a goiter, it's an iodine deficiency. You have rickets, it's a D deficiency. And that's the extent of the knowledge. That's, that's like what the, the doctors learn and the dietitians learn. This is how much you need. This is a hundred percent RDI. And this is what you need. You need to get this much and this much. And this is how you create a menu plan or meal plan for your patients or clients that will get them all of these nutrients. So we are under this, this guise of avoiding deficiency. And I too, the first 10 years that I was teaching plant-based nutrition, I was basically um, standing up for and defending the nutrient adequacy of a plant-based diet. But it was like recently, like maybe five, six years ago, when I started to realize that perhaps why a health, the, why a whole food plant-based diet is so efficacious, right? The literature is 
so clear now there's so much data showing that a plant-based diet, you know, reduces risk for most chronic diseases. Perhaps one of the reasons it is so health promoting and it has such great results is because of those very nutrients that we are restricting or limiting a little bit, like all the amino acids, all of that heme iron, those and saturated fat by eating less, like maybe less is more, but that's not what we learn in school. That's not, and there's a fear of deficiency, but I don't see rickets and I don't see, you know, scurvy. This is not what I see every day. I have people coming to me that are struggling with obesity and cardiovascular disease and type two diabetes diseases of excess. We are Mm. living in a, a world of excess, but trying to still avoid deficiency. And those are conflicting narratives that compete Wow. That is so good. I'm, I'm going to clip that part right there. <laughs> I mean, that, that is, is, is so true. We're all walking around eating all day long. And then we like point out the one thing that we're deficient in, and that is the root of all our problems, right? You're, and you pay yeah, to your point, you pick that one nutrient, you're vitamin C deficient or you're protein deficient or all these, these things. And it's like, no, that's not what's causing your health problems. It is in excess of food. That's super interesting. And and to attest about the, just, just a comment on the macro thing, I call it macro confusion. And I think it's something that is, I consider the most pervasive problem in nutrition today. If a researcher or healthcare professional is confused by how much carbs and how much fat, how much protein we're supposed to consume, how is the layperson supposed to interpret this data? For example, in the 2018 Lancet Journal, there was an article that concluded that a low carb diet and a high carb diet increase mortality. What the heck does that mean? What do you do with that information? It's absolutely meaningless. There is no evidence still to this date that shows a perfect ratio of macronutrients. It doesn't matter because sugar laden cereal is not the same nutritionally as, or metabolically as a bowl of lentil stew, yet they may have about the same carbohydrate protein fat ratio, right? doesn't matter. Let's talk about food. We need to change the narrative back to food. So people know what that means. If I told you to eat a a high glycemic or low glycemic complex carb rich meal with moderate protein and low in fat, what the heck would that mean to you? Right? Like that's just what? Like, what is it? If I told you go have a bowl of lentils and brown rice and a big salad with some dressing and some topped with nuts and seeds, you know exactly what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. That's where the healing begins. A hundred percent. I even see that in the plant-based world where it's like, you know, you say plant-based protein or, or whatever. And it's like, well, even in that world, like a black bean, black beans have a different effect on your body than almonds do. And it's exactly as you said, like getting back to focusing on the food as a whole. So how do you get people out of that thinking? Like somebody comes to you, right? They, they're sick. They're trying to lose weight. They're trying to get healthy. How do you remove that? Because personally, me coming from like an athlete background like yourself, that was so ingrained in me, right? The high protein, low carb, whatever. How do you get people to shift that because it's just so ingrained. And even after you have a thousand conversations, it feels like people still talk about sugar and carbs and all this. 
Well, I refuse to have that. I refuse to play the game. I'm like, okay. And here's what I recommend. And I use, I have, I've developed over these 17 years that I've been practicing different tools. So I've got like, I know how to communicate this with my clients and I've known what I had it to create. Like I needed to create to make it more tangible, visual, um, just, I want to reframe food and I want to reframe the thinking on diet. So like I use something called this mnemonic called the six daily three. So I want them to eat. I want them to prioritize these certain foods. I always say, I want you to eat a ver- I want, here's how I say it. I want you to eat vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, mushrooms, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices in infinite tasty combinations. So we're getting the conversation to food. I want you to prioritize this six, these six food groups and about these, this, about this many portions. I don't have my clients measure. Like I'm such the anti-dietitian. I don't count macros or calories. I, you know, I won't even, I won't tell someone how much to eat. I won't measure away. I like to use a mindfulness approach and I like to use a conversation of food. So I won't try to convince anyone to change that stopped 10 years ago. I'm like, okay, you know what? I was beating my head against the wall, trying to convince people. No, you don't understand. It's the healthiest way to eat. No, no, but really. And I realized why am I not having the success with my clients that I want to have? And I realized it's because I'm trying to convince everyone. Now, if someone wants to change their diet, I know I could predict a predictably get my clients to lose 0.4 to 0.8 pounds of body fat a day. I can predictably get most of my patients or clients to decrease or get off medications. It's so predictable. And it's so formulaic at this point, because I've done it so many times. So if they come to me and they're hesitant, but they, I I know if they want to work with me, great. They have to want to work with me. And then when they see it, it's really exciting. So like my client today, she's a physician and she's like, but I don't understand why is this working so well? You know, so I get to kind of dig into the, the weeds with someone that has all that, that scientific background. But if once you see it and experience it viscerally, I don't need to really make so much of a case in point anymore, you know, cause it's visceral. Mm, yeah. You can't argue with it. Yeah. So when somebody comes to you and maybe their doctor has told them, you know, they need meat for iron or they need calcium, um, you know, for bone health from milk or dairy or whatever. How do you approach that conversation? Right. Well, if they, first of all, explain where you can get those other nutrients from most of my clients at this point, they're like, can you believe my doctor said such and such? (laughs) So I'm like, they know how ridiculous it is. A lot of them are already really well-informed enough to want to know, to go in this direction. Cause again, I will not try to convince anyone or try to convert anyone at, at all. I refuse to do so. So usually they're already there, but I mean, it's so easy to replace those things. It's so, and the research is so clear that, oh yeah, you can get iron from meat, but look what else happens when you consume meat. You know, I mean, we know what happens. It's like, I don't even have to say much anymore because the research has, has gotten so, um, proliferative. Like there's just so much out there now and it's very compelling. And there's so many books now written about people that have had stories. There's so many stories and documentaries and it's gotten so much more uh, easy to show now. You know, like, you don't, I used to have to go into like, no, but this study showed blah, blah, blah. Like I used to be really detailed before it was so out there, you know, but now it's really changed and the evidence is really ubiquitous now. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So I'm in the restaurant business and I didn't realize how like I don't want to say brainwashed or anything like that, but how much focus by consumers is put on, um, on gluten, right? Everybody is looking for, um, gluten-free type stuff. Um, how do you kind of view whole grains in the diet and how do you approach that topic with people? Because that is something I think whole grains are, are 
vilified for in many areas, uh, but they're also celebrated by, um, you know, many doctors I follow as well as, as a very healthy thing to be eating. So I have kind of an interesting perspective on whole grains. First of all, they're not part of my six daily threes. That said, they're so wonderful. They're very health promoting. They are delicious. They are wonderfully culinarily speaking for diversity and just to like to make a recipe just even better, right? Like they're just amazing and they're really good for satiety. However, the reason they're not part of my six daily threes, the foods that I want to be prioritized is because there's nothing unique nutritionally in whole grains that you can't get from the other groups. The other groups are leafy green and cruciferous vegetables, other colored vegetables, fruits, legumes, nuts and seeds, and then mushrooms. So those are very unique nutritionally that you kind of need to get some of those in each of those categories. Whole grains are great and they have lots of wonderful nutrition. The research is so like, there's no doubt. You can't even argue that whole grains are healthy and nutritious and safe, you know, for the people that are afraid of it. So I think they're fabulous, but I don't think you need to prioritize them. So if you're really just kind of cutting and going, what I say with the six daily threes is once you've gotten those servings, then you could substantiate your meals with the whole grains or more of other, of the other food groups. So there's nothing wrong with them by any means are great, but they're not nutritionally unique. Gotcha. Gotcha. In terms of when people should be eating and how often I saw you do a video on, you know, time restricted eating, um, a little while ago. Um, what, what are your thoughts on kind of intermittent fasting and eating windows? And do you feel it might vary based on male, female? I've seen some data on, on that. Just curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a good question. Unfortunately, most, uh, nutritional data, most data is not equal between men and women. So we don't really have good ways to kind of denote that. And I have not seen a lot of stuff on that. Um, in terms of time-restricted eating. Time-restricted eating, of course, is a, a version of intermittent fasting. It's incredible what the, the data show about uh, just eating less, eating less frequently. It's incredible. And so when I learned about this data, I applied this myself uh, to my, my diet and I started incorporating it with my clients. And the evidence is very, very strong. And I think the best of both worlds, which, which is what I kind of delineate in my book, The Choosing Now Diet, is a time-restricted window, whole food plant-based. It's like the magic combination, right? Those two things are like all of the best things in the literature about reducing your risk for chronic disease, increasing health span and longevity. That's the best way to do it. And like fasting is great, right? People can do these like longer term fasts, of course, talk to your healthcare provider before doing that. But a fast is really like nothing short of three to five days. So people think they're fasting if they skip breakfast. That's not a fast, that's just skipping breakfast. Um, and, but people can do these longer term fasts and have all these incredible benefits or someone that maybe doesn't want to fast or you can't fast all the time. This wonderful, the, the least painful, the most accessible way to get so many of those benefits of fasting is by doing it daily with the time restricted eating window. So that just basically means you're just restricting the time in the fed state and giving yourself daily time in the fasted state so that your body could do all of this very much needed rejuvenation, repair, all the stuff that has to take place, but it gets in the way when you're eating and metabolizing. And so many people are in the fed state from awake until sleep, you know, cause remember from the last bite, it takes four to six hours to finish digestion and absorption. So that takes over. And so if you give your body some time in the rested state, in the fasted state to do all of those other things, there's incredible 
um, evidence for the, the advantages in terms of immune function and overall health. So it's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That is where I have landed in my experimentation as well. It's, it's, you know, eat, start eating in the afternoon, whole food, plant-based as much as possible. And that for me, you know, keeps me energetic and healthy and doing all the things my body loves to do. Um, do you have any advice on like how somebody should approach the time restricted? Like, do you recommend skipping breakfast or, uh, skipping dinner? Obviously like you want to use sleep as part of the window. Um, do you, do you have any preference? I know there's some stuff on like circadian rhythms and whether you should eat right when you wake up or, um, not eat too late before bed, that sort of stuff. Right. So I definitely incorporate the circadian rhythm to my teaching. It's, and we've talked a lot about that in the health span solution, my last book, but it's, they're all interrelated, right? It's incredible how tied our bodies are to the sun to like, so like daily patterns and monthly patterns. And it's quite extraordinary and it's beautiful how our bodies are tied into all of those things. And so the evidence now seems to show that if you shift slightly earlier, that might be better, but there's so much benefit to just restricting period that if you're really, really not hungry in the morning and you want to eat later, by all means do it. So it's just the most important thing I think is keeping us a window, like a restricted window. And I usually recommend four to six hours, but there's evidence that eight hours is good. And even 12 hours could be good. So I guess it depends on where you're coming from. Right. Um, but I have my clients do four to six hours. I actually turned out crazily to love eating once a day. And if I eat twice a day, I feel like I don't need to eat twice a day anymore. Like I got used to it. So my advice to someone starting is, well, if I could do it, anyone could do it because I used to eat six times a day, like the personal trainer diet. Um, but what I would say is that everything about food is habit, everything. So if you eat at the same time every day, your body, because of the circadian clock and because of how we work, we will expect to eat at those times a day. So it just takes a few days. Like I've, I've run hundreds of clients or maybe more than that at this point through this process. And it's just a matter of committing to two times a day, one or two times a day that you could eat the same every day because, you know, with work and with, you know, try to keep it as close as possible. And then your body will adjust it, give it, give it three to five days and stick to it. And then you don't eat off plan. You just stick to those window, that window, and it gets easier and easier until it just feels really good. And you just become accustomed to it like anything else. Mm. Do you focus on anything like mindset related? I've seen you talk about, um, how you speak to yourself, um, especially maybe when you're attempting to lose weight or, or get healthy? Like, how do you approach that with people and, and the importance of, you know, your thoughts and, and how you talk to yourself? Yes. This has become this very powerful basis of what I teach with my clients. And that is what I outlined in choosing now diet, because it's evolved over my years of one-on-one. Like, I think I've, so much has come out of the the hours I've spent talking to people just one-on-one and watching what happens and then watching what happens across people. Like we are so much alike. Humans are so human (laughs) after all. And we are biological beings set in a very interesting world, right? Where there's psychosocial everything. Like we are tribal beings, you know, we want to fit in, we want to break bread. And so you know, biologically we're adapted to survive, right? So we are, we should be eating whenever there's food in front of us. And then just in case when there's no food, we'll have enough stored for later. 
And then everyone is doing that. And then all of that is in the media everywhere. And so the messaging out there is so pervasive and it's insidious. And even if it's from your loved one or a friend who makes a comment, those things are enormous. Like if someone says to you, where do you get your protein? And you're really confident where you know where you're getting your protein from. But if they say it in a certain way, it stays in your brain and you start to plant a seed. And then you start worrying about protein or these things like little things like that. This messaging is so pervasive. So I have tools that I've learned over the years that kind of help with that conversation and like really arming yourself with information, listening to what you're saying to yourself about your decisions about food, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about your food. Really, it's how you feel and how your relationship with your food and your diet and your body image and all of that. So, you know, I have my clients spend time journaling and figuring out why they want to, what they want, why they want the goals that they want. But words are incredibly powerful and we don't realize how much talk we do in our brains about food and like all day long, there's, you know, it's been estimated that we make about 200 food decisions or more every single day. That's a lot of decisions. It's a lot of mental space and time that we allocate to thinking about food. So how we talk about it is really important and it really matters in terms of having success and confidence and comfort and joy in your decisions surrounding food. Mm, Yeah. I love that. I always recommend people adopt the identity of like who they want to be before they are it. And they talk to themselves as if they are already it. You know, they talk to themselves as if they're a super fit person or they're a triathlete or they're whatever they want to be before they're it. And it's amazing, like what that does in, in my experience, just like not calling yourself a fat ass or talking down to yourself, like that's not what a fit person or a cyclist would say, right. (laughs) You know? Um, Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredibly powerful. mm -hmm. And like another example is my clients will say to me, I really hope I can lose weight. And I say, why don't you just say, I'm going to lose weight. I'm losing weight, like make it active, make it make it strong. And like, Mm. that will matter. You know, it's not really an affirmation necessarily, but it's a perspective. So I like what you're saying. I think that's really, really helpful. Mm. So outside of obviously the food people are eating, how they're talking to themselves, are there any other specific areas that you focus on? In terms of in terms? Yeah. In terms of coaching. Yep. Hmm. I mean, you know, it depends on what the goals are. I don't only do, I do a lot of weight loss, but I also work with people that have been diagnosed with a very devastating uh, diagnosis or that are dealing with, you know, some disordered eating, if you will. I I don't like that term per se, but, um, or people that are dealing with like all sorts of different things. So it depends on what we're doing athletes. I work with a lot of athletes that are trying to improve their performance or recovery, or just trying to figure out how they're supposed to eat people that are going through pregnancy and breastfeeding and raising children. And so it depends on what the goals are and why they, why they want to work with me. But, um, it's always about like, either we're focusing on optimizing nutrition, focusing on what, I guess it just depends on what the goals are. Could we, could we go into pregnancy and breastfeeding uh, a little bit, at least something in my world with friends and family, um, that have maybe adopted a plant-based diet, all the questions come out. I feel like again, 
when, um, you know, a woman is pregnant or they start breastfeeding and they're worried their kids aren't getting certain things. Um, so yeah, what, what do you advise on that front or how do you help somebody in that scenario? I would say that it is the most important time it is. And I remember when I was pregnant, I've been pregnant twice, I have two kids. And I remember thinking, it's not about me anymore. Like, this is another human, you know, that you're like responsible for. And it's a lot of pressure. And so, and that's true. And nutritionally speaking, that's the time when you need the most nutrition or the most perfect nutrition, if you will, there's no such thing as perfect, but you want to really think about it. It's like a really good excuse to optimize as much as you can, just like if you're an athlete or you're trying to like accomplish something like that, but this is like really important because if, you know, not only do you, are you risking your body? Cause you know, if, if there's something that the, the baby needs, the body's so brilliant that it will prioritize the baby and leach it out of you. Like calcium would be leached out of you or, you know, minerals will be leached out of you to go to the baby. So the bodies will kind of adjust, but it's, you know, it's a really good opportunity to go, okay, what am I eating and how do I do this optimally so that I'm nourished and I'm taking care of this baby in the best possible way. So again, there's so much information out there. I, in my plant-based nutrition idiots guides, which I've done two versions of now, there's like a whole chapter for pregnancy and breastfeeding and just the nutrient needs a little bit go up, right? Like you don't need to eat that many more calories. Like that's kind of shocking. To a lot of people, we need about like 500 more calories a day. A lot of us are like, Oh yeah, I get to eat whatever I want. Cause I'm pregnant, but, um, not necessarily true. So that's important. How much, how much you need to eat. Um, dealing with all the different parts of the different trimesters, things come up like the first trimester, a lot of people are very nauseous. So how do you deal with nausea and getting enough nutrition, certain nutrients that are really, really important to make sure you have going into pregnancy, like folate and, you know, B12 and all that stuff. So it depends on when you are going into it and what stage you're in it, but it is a really good excuse to prioritize and make sure you're eating an optimal diet as best you can. Now, I mean, granted when I was super nauseous and I've worked with people that are super nauseous, like it's really hard to think about eating, you know, all those vegetables and getting all those servings. So to know, I always try to give my clients the, um, the, the support to say that, you know, your body will take care of it. It's not like, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world if you're not perfect right now, but here's strategies to, to get as nutritionally optimal as possible. Awesome. Awesome. To somebody listening that you mentioned disease reversal with diet in there at some point to somebody that, that just that whole idea of that is, is new to them. Um, could you maybe talk about some of the common things people come to you with that you have successfully helped them overcome with their diet? Yes. I mean, things I never expected to see ever. I did not learn in graduate school or in my dietetic internship that reversing these conditions was even on the radar, that it was even something that could be done. I didn't learn about Dean Ornish's studies. I didn't learn about Esselstyn studies and all of these things where they were reversing advanced stage cardiovascular disease and type two diabetes, like Dr. Neil Barnard has done through PCR. And like that. there's so much great research on that. We didn't even know that was possible. And so now that I've been working with people, I can predictably watch people get off blood pressure medicine, high cholesterol medicine, the two leading uh, problems that are symptoms or conditions that cause cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular disease is the number one killer around the world still. So that's so controllable. It's such, there's so many, uh, modifiable risk factors with cardiovascular disease and type two diabetes that we didn't even really realize before. So it's kind of a, I think of that as really a gift, you know, rather than a, um, Oh, you, it's just an opportunity, right? Like how empowering that you can decide 
you know, how your disease progressed or, or if you could actually stop that process. Now, of course, there's things like cancer where there's some benefits uh, in the research, but it's kind of conflicting and cancer is so complex. So there's no way to say that, oh, you will hundred percent be free of disease and never have a problem in your life. That's just, that's not true. We're still human. But the things I've seen consistently are reversal of cardiovascular disease and the symptoms type two diabetes, you know, like insulin sensitivity gets better. You can get off of insulin. If it's type two diabetes, people with type one diabetes are able to moderate their glucose even better on a plant-based diet. I've seen that a lot. I've seen people reduce, I mean, inflammation goes away really. That's a real common thing. So people that are suffering from arthritic pain or, I mean, inflammation is a source of every illness really. So people ameliorate those conditions um, autoimmune conditions, never thought that would be possible. I know so many people that have stopped the symptoms of MS with it. And th that research is growing too in the literature, but that's extraordinary. You know, I just, I see things all the time, kidney disease, um, all fatty liver, so many things. It's, it's just, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And, and generally I know it probably varies person to person quite a bit, but generally is that something that can take place pretty quickly or is it, you know, this is a buckle up for a year and you'll, you'll slowly kind of, uh, rebuild and recover, you know, what was probably your 30 years of not great decisions. Like how, how quickly do you see healing in people? Well, I see it very quickly most of the time. Cause if you're going from, if, well, it depends on where you're coming from, depends yeah. on how the severity of the condition and it depends on how deep you go in. If you go all in and you're eating, a whole food plant-based diet, you're doing the, you know, all the stuff, all the things. Then I've seen, I had a, a guy in my, I did a transformation program uh, in January for my, when I launched my book and he had decades, I think he said 30 years of blood pressure medicine within one week of working in my program, one week, he was off of all of those meds. I think there were two or three different medications off after 30 years. That, that was like amazing. But I see that very commonly. When I did I, my very first Dr. Ozop episode, and we took four ladies on it, they reduced their blood pressure, their cholesterol, and their weight within four days. We did a four-day experiment. Uh, I did a, I helped with a group in Sacramento. We took people through this program in 30 days. The results were extraordinary. So it happens really quickly if you want to make it happen, and it's something like these conditions that I'm mentioning it can happen very, very quickly. So in fact, so much so that when I'm working with a client, I'm like, and if they're on medication, especially a blood sugar or blood pressure, lowering medication, I am adamant and say it a million times, please, please, please. You have to tell your doctor you're doing this radical program and they need to monitor. Like you need to be taking your blood pressure, taking your blood sugar multiple times a day and reporting back to the doctor because these drugs can be so powerful and the diet is so powerful that the drugs become more potent and you don't want them to overwork, right? You don't want to become hyper, uh, hypotensive or hypoglycemic. So these are kind of risk factors. It could happen so quickly that you need to shift the medication and be really hyper aware to avoid having the, the opposite reaction because you've recovered so quickly. Mm. Is there a story that stands out over the years? of somebody that really changed their life and, and has stuck with it? Oh, there's been so many. I, it, Pat, it's incredible. Like I, I've seen it over and over and over again. And I, I like, I don't, I get excited every single time, but I always say results are typical. You know, we hear these drug commercials, results are not typical. Results are typical. When you eat plants, you get rid of animals and processed foods, 
you will see a shift, whether it's just waking up more refreshed or your skin looks a little clearer or whatever, or to all the way where you're like getting off of medications. This is what happens commonly. If it's not, there's a reason it's not. That means the diet isn't exactly on plan. Cause what I love about my job, cause I love the whole, I've been so obsessed and interested in food and what people eat and what it does to your body my entire life. So I get to look at all these food journals. So I've looked at thousands of food journals now. So I know that if there's not, if, if my client says, I'm not seeing these results and I'll look at their food journal, I know exactly why it's always very, very clear, which is quite empowering, right? If you want to make a change, you can. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I've, I have a friend who, um, you know, healed himself with, whole food plant-based and he's big into juicing and raw foods and all this. And, uh, you know, over the years he has gone on to work with people and he always says, I've never seen it not work. Like he says that all the time. I've never seen it not work. If the person fully commits to it and truly only puts whole plant foods in their body. It's pretty cool. I concur. It is very cool. I could say the same thing. Are there any other common questions that you get that maybe we could address with, I think we've, we've danced around the protein, the calcium, the iron. Um, are there any like other common threads that people come to you and they just have a hard time letting go of, of something, some belief? Oh, there's, it's, it's so funny because I, I always consider myself a nutrition myth debunker. And again, (laughs) I've been doing this for 17 years, just, you know, in dietetics in 17 years, the same questions keep coming up. So I've, you know, I've been doing social media and evolving with my social media with whatever comes with the next platform that comes out there. And I always, I find myself, I'm answering the same question over and over. And over. I'm fine with that. I don't mind answering it. It's just it's funny how the same questions keep coming up no matter what, like the protein one will not die. It is like, no one will get over this like fear of not getting enough protein. That's like the biggest one. Um, and then dairy and then you know, and then the other one that I'm, I'm, I find very important is, so if we're talking about nutrient deficiencies, there are notable nutrients on a plant-based diet. So I want to make sure if I, if you don't mind, I would love to kind of point those out. Great. I do have my clients take a multivitamin because there are certain nutrients that you do need to be mindful of because there is no perfect diet. There is no perfect diet. You know, you can't really eat hundred percent DRI. And if we did eat hundred percent DRI every single day, is that even good? we'd probably be overnourished there too. So what does that look like? So you're eating this variety of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, mushrooms, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices. You're prioritizing the six daily threes. What are the things that you really need to be mindful of when you're eating only plants? Well, everyone on a plant-based diet and everyone over the age of 50, no matter what their diet, if they're chugging meat three times a day, everyone in those categories needs to be taking a B12 supplement. You're just not going to get it otherwise and get enough. The only reliable, safe, effective way to get adequate B12 is to supplement. So that's really important. Vitamin D is another one that's not specific to a plant-based diet, but we're just seeing this globally for the last, I don't know, decade or so, where um, vitamin D is so important for all these different things. And so many of us are staying out of the sun and there's a lot of different variables that come into play. So you need to be mindful of vitamin D. The difference between D and B12 is that D is a fat soluble nutrient. And so you don't want to you know, supplement blindly. So I have my clients test for vitamin D levels or serum D levels. B12 is a water soluble nutrient. So you don't really have to worry about having too much of it, but all this, by the way, if you go to my website, plantbaseddietitian.com, I have 
all this stuff like outlined with all the numbers and the dosing and the types and all that stuff, just so people have that information right at their fingertips. But um, vitamin B12, vitamin D, uh, vitamin K2 is maybe an issue. We don't know because vitamin K, we get K1 phylloquinone from leafy greens. And I would say, you know, with leafy green love, I'm all about leafy greens because that's one of the nutrients that's really important. However, K2 is a different one that's formed from bacteria. And we're wondering if K2 is necessary to supplement because you don't really get it from plants. You get it from, you know, bacteria, you can get it from natto on um, that Japanese kind of, um, I don't know if you've ever had natto soy product. I don't like it, but it's hard to find, but, um, but so K2 is an interesting question because we prioritize our K for our heart. So then will our bones suffer if we're not getting enough of that K2? So that's a question mark. Um, but that's in the supplement that I use. And then, then there's two minerals. There's iodine, which, you know, we weren't getting iodine way back when we we're having issues with thyroid and all that stuff. And so they iodized our salt, but now a lot of people are afraid of salt or they're using fancy salts, right? Either people are not consuming because of high blood pressure or they're salt sensitive, or they're using these fancy salts that are not iodized. So we're seeing like iodine is kind of a nutrient of concern as well, because, you know, unless you're getting it from your soil, unless you live near the ocean where you would get some iodine, you're probably not getting enough iodine. So we need about 150 micrograms a day for adults. You can get it from a little pinch of salt, iodized salt, or from sea vegetables, or you could supplement that too. And then the last mineral to be mindful of is zinc. And the reason for that is you can get zinc in plants and nuts and seeds and legumes and stuff like that. However, because of the phytates in those foods, it, it can be like, you need to have a little bit more zinc to make sure that you're absorbing enough. So you could supplement with zinc or make sure you're getting plenty of, that's why I, the six daily threes is kind of based around those, those nutrients. So that's something to be considered about too. And the final nutrient, that's not a micronutrient that we need to think about perhaps on a plant-based diet are the omega-3 fatty acids because we take in, you know, one source of omega-3s on a plant-based diet, the ALA source, but our body also needs EPA and DHA, which are the elongated versions of that. And so we're not getting a direct source of that unless we're eating fish and so, or animal products. So if you're not, you can just, you know, either eat more of the ALA, which is chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, walnuts, or soy foods, or, and, or you could supplement with a microalgae long chain EPA and DHA formula, just to make sure you're getting some of that in our blood. So we don't even know if that's necessary because uh, plant-based eaters tend to have a lower risk for cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's too, which are kind of linked with that nutrient, uh, nutrient, that fatty acid, but, um, just something to be, to, to consider. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That was an awesome breakdown. Um, I, I noticed you had mushrooms in your um, six there. I, and I haven't, I haven't like heard that usually mushrooms are just thrown in with like vegetables when people, uh, talk about diet. Is there a specific reason you highlight that and you want people eating mushrooms? Such a good, I'm so glad you asked me that question because <laughs> it just newly got added to that. So my six daily threes before I had movement as the last one or exercise just to get people active. And I lumped mushrooms in with vegetables. And then I realized that mushrooms are not a vegetable, they're fungi, right? And they're a whole different species or a whole different category. And when I started digging into the literature on mushrooms, I was blown away by how powerful they are. So I finally came to the conclusion that they needed their own category and they were worthy of having their own little place on the six daily threes because they are so health promoting. And so the recommendation is about three different species a week. I got that from, from a mushroom expert, uh, the, someone that's done a ton of research on mushrooms and uh, that's just, and, and they're delicious and they're culinarily fabulous and something to think about incorporating in your diet. And if you hate mushrooms, there's people
people that hate mushrooms, no matter what you do to them, because you could <laughs> chop them up real small and change the texture. But um, there's also like what I'm drinking right now is a mushroom based tea <laughs> and you can't taste the mushrooms at all. It tastes like a green hibiscus tea, but there's mushrooms in there. So there's ways to get it without eating it if you really, really don't like them. That's awesome. That's awesome. Is there anything else like mushrooms that, and I know like, I don't want to say there's like a magic bullet or anything, obviously like just consistently eating good whole plant foods over a long period of time is, is the best thing you can do. But are there any like interesting foods outside of mushrooms that you think are like overlooked or really, really good for people? I, I hear broccoli sprouts a lot. Like there's a lot of science on cancer prevention and broccoli sprouts. Um, is there any, any kind of superfoodish type stuff you recommend? Well, I love the way you framed it because I too would not say there are any superfoods. And what's the most important thing is consistency over time. That's it. The, the most important thing you could do for yourself is to stick to whole healthy foods all of the, as much of the time as possible. And Yes, there are foods that are nutritionally superior, if you will. And that's why I have the six daily three. So I think cruciferous vegetables are up there and that's why they have their own category with leafy greens. Those two things are cruciferous vegetables and leafy green vegetables are probably the most health promoting foods on the planet. Just, they're just, so I always say they're the most nutritional, you get the most nutritional bang for your caloric buck. Mm. So much, the phytochemicals and all the beautiful things in there are just so unique, unique and beautiful. And so I highly recommend consuming those every day. Mushrooms, berries are, have high, you know, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant properties. Uh, the allium family, you know, the onion, garlic, those, those guys. Uh, but they're all in my, again, these are all in the six daily three. So it's like just making sure you're getting the rainbow every day, like to keep it, I want to keep it simple for people. And I don't want people to think they need to go find or, or make Brussels, uh, Brussels broccoli sprouts, or it doesn't have to be that way. But yeah, some of that stuff is really great. Sprouting foods is really good sprouting nuts and seeds and whole grains and um, all sorts of things. If you sprout them, then the, the nutrition is absorbed a little bit better. Um, you know, yeah, getting a variety focusing on the most colorful things you can and focusing on the six daily threes and you'll get, you'll get all the, all the goodness from those plants. I love it. I love it. Would you give us a quick rundown of the books you have available for people that don't know? I know there's many. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, well, my last book that I wrote was like the book I always wanted to write. Cause it was like the entire, my entire, what I've learned in, you know, 40 years of my life of figuring this stuff out. Like when I was just starting as a little girl and, uh, and a lot of recipes. So that's the choose, you now diet. And uh, that's like the one that I, it's in my voice. It's got a plan. It's got lots of recipes. And then the one before that was the health span solution. And then my very first book that I did a second edition of a couple of years ago was a complete 80s guide to plant-based nutrition. And I did the complete 80s guide to gluten-free vegan cooking. <laughs> And then I did one called the vegetarian diet, I think in 2014, where I was basically answering the question of, I was sitting on the, on a cruise, giving a talk in the Mediterranean. I was sitting there looking at the ocean going, why does the Mediterranean diet get so much credit? It gets all the props every year. It's us news uh, right. best diet of the year. And I'm like, the evidence on that is not even close to what we see with the plant-based diet. So I did a deep dive into that. And I have all these hypotheses on why it gets all the credit where the plant-based diet deserves. And so that was a vegetarian diet as well. So, and then I've got an ebook that was like my 10 favorite recipes for weight loss, just to have something that people can grab really quickly. And that's available on my website and on Amazon Kindle too. So that's a, that's a rundown of my books. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. One more question since you mentioned Mediterranean. Um, 
what do you advise people on? I feel like there's, there's kind of some in-between foods, I kind of call them, with health-oriented people. Fish is often in there. Um, you know, chicken is often in there. Eggs are often in there. Um, how do you um, navigate that landscape with people? And how do you, um, what's your overall take on kind of the, the debated foods in the health world like that? Oh, I don't see any debate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say I would say there is some debate about fish. I do see some kind of um, interesting data on fish. Like it does look like maybe sometimes it's healthy too to incorporate fish, like a pescatarian style diet, where it's like plant based plus fish. However, then you have to look at there's things you have to think about. There's contaminants, lots of pollutants and contaminants in fish. They are aggregated up the food chain, right? So you eat fish that's been, you know, accumulating mercury or PCBs or dioxin, and that's real. That stuff is real. That ends up in your body too. That's one thing to be considered of. And of course, the overfishing issue that is, is a problem globally if, from that perspective, if that's something we need to consider all of these things. Like if we're making mm. decisions about what's healthy, we also want to think about what's healthy, you know, for everything around us, as much as it matters to you. Of course, it's a very personal decision. I don't like to tell people, um, how to feel about things or what, you know, but it's like, mm -hmm. these are things to take into consideration when making these decisions. Chicken, I don't see as healthier. I just think that's what people think, but I mm -hmm. could explain why that's not, not the case. So I would argue against that notion. If someone was asking me, I wouldn't recommend chicken. In other words, in fact, people will say, what's the least bad animal product you recommend? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. there are plenty of dietitians that will answer that question. Yeah. But <laughs> see more plants in my opinion, but I, again, I don't try to convince anyone of anything. So I can, I'm, if it's something on the fence, I'm happy to look at the data or explain the data to someone and have them understand so they can make a more informed decision. Cause again, it's like, you know, what are you trying to do? Like olive oil, right? That was what my thesis of, of the vegetarian diet was that everyone says, Oh, the Mediterranean diet is so healthy because you eat fish and olive oil and red wine. So those are really healthy. And my argument is it, that's not really what the Mediterranean diet classically was. And maybe they needed olive oil back then because, you know, this was like a calorie scarce post-war time where they didn't have enough source of, of calorie. But if you could uh, compare olive oil to olives or to whole foods, there's no comparison. So my, mm -hmm. my, basically my conclusion is that the reason that diet is so healthy is because it is a whole food plant-based diet by mm. definition, you really look at the numbers and everything. So Anyway, there, I would say that no matter what someone comes to me, because everyone has an opinion, like people think whole grains are bad or legumes are bad. And like, we know that's not true. So it's like, you just have to like point out a few studies or some of the evidence. And if there's a valid point, then definitely consider it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love it, Juliana. I could go all day with you on this stuff. I absolutely love it. But um, we're, we're getting close to the top here. Um, where can people follow you? You mentioned all your books, uh, give us your website again, and then where on social media people can follow you. Thank you so much, Pat. So you can find me at plantbaseddietitian.com. That's my website. And I'm all over like with different names. So I'm either Juliana Hever, which is spelled funny. So J U L I E A N N A H E V E R. So that's on Instagram and on YouTube. It's also my name. And then on Facebook, I'm plant-based dietitian and Twitter. I'm plant dietitian, but all of that is on plantbaseddietitian.com. Awesome. Well, kudos to all you do and the lives you help and the people you help. And, um, you know, I certainly, I host this podcast because I believe health is the greatest gift you can give somebody and you are doing that. So kudos to you and, and absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Pat. It's really nice to connect. 
Sometimes the lady is young 